I mean, boobs can be seen in many ways. They're functional, they're sexual, they're biological, they, you know, feed humans. We cringe watch, then getting it poppin'. We cringe watch, then getting it poppin'. We cringe watch, then getting it poppin'. We cringe watch it. Welcome to Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. This episode, we watched The Undoing and asked Reshma Gopaldis, is breastfeeding a flex? Lori, are you binging this week or are you cringing? I am hardcore binging this week, Layla. Ooh. At night, I love to lounge and turn on Call Your Agent in French. I guess the name of this show is 10%. And it's on Netflix and it follows a boutique French agency that's taking care of lots of movie stars. And they use real life movie stars in the show. Um, it's all in French and I watch with English subtitles and one fun side effect of this is that I started casually working the phrase et voila into conversation with people and they think it's really random because I'm not a French speaker. <laughs> Should I point out that you're not a French speaker because that T is silent in et voila? <laughs> 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 I'll take it. <laughs> you do not have to tell me about that show. I am married to a Frenchie. My sister is with a Frenchie. She's raising a French baby. My mom's trying to learn French to catch up with her new sons-in-laws. And so Call My Agent is is our jam. That's awesome. But I'm so glad you discovered it. Oh man, I love it. And it's definitely making me long for having much more language and cultural fluency with the French. So maybe I'll join your family in their, in their journey. Uh, but I'm curious for you, what's making you cringe or binge? Oh, well, I think I was doing too much binging. So I've been trying to work out in the park. I ordered some leggings online and a matching sports bra. And now I cannot open a browser, look at social media, look at anything without being inundated with video pop-up ads that are just overwhelming. I was already getting stretchy pants ads all through the pandemic. I think it's probably anything, the only thing people are, are buying, but I can't get over the hypocrisy of these ads. I know this is not news and not interesting, but the way that they are marketing to me to try to both celebrate women being sporty, make you feel self-conscious, like you need to have your butt tucked and your, and your thigh squeezed in at all times showing you that you need $100 sports bras and that everything needs to match. And you need to be able to wear it confidently without a top over the sports bra. I just, I hate it. I keep trying to fill out all the little Facebook surveys and other things saying, hide this, block this. And there's just too many companies. I can't oh. keep up. Wow. That is definitely cringeworthy. And I know the feeling of those ads following you around that you didn't like to begin with. But speaking of faux women's empowerment, the question that we have on the table today with our episode is whether breastfeeding can be a flex and whether it was successfully pulled off as a flex in the undoing. And as far as I'm concerned, it's impressive what our bodies can do. And no one should ever be made to feel ashamed of choosing to breastfeed wherever, for whatever reason, in public, as needed. And also if people choose not to breastfeed, that should be fine too. It should all be fine. And do you even need a child to whip out your breast? The way people are so shocked 
that women have breasts or make us close to show all but the nipples, but then are shocked when that nipple is out to feed a baby. It's just, it's so puritanical. I cannot believe we're still having this conversation. It's so true. And, you know, I feel like body positivity or like sex positivity in general, it's kind of gotten a bad rap for being maybe like a white woman's issue or being kind of frivolous to like more serious issues of liberation and justice. Um, And we saw this play out in like slut walk politics and, you know, how a lot of black women rightfully came forward and were like, you know, the choice to be called a slut is not top of my feminist priorities. And that's real. But I also think there is this piece of body and sex positivity that is still kind of unsolved for me. And there's still some work that needs to be done there. And I'm not convinced that, you know, it's not in some way core to our shared liberation. What is unsolved for you there? You know, I just think this respectability politics and shame, deep shame is placed upon all types of bodies. It's not only, you know, cisgender women's bodies, but it's it's all bodies that aren't coded as, you know, quote unquote, acceptable to a very patriarchal male gaze. And, you know, I also just think sex is very misunderstood in the political sphere. Like people don't understand how political sex really is. And so to call it frivolous is actually a very privileged stance. And we see this in you know, how political Planned Parenthood is, but we also see it in, you know, kind of less obvious ways with how, you know, legislation about sex drives privacy issues in our country or, you know, digital freedom. There's like a lot, I think, that we still need to unpack as a society there. Yeah. I mean, the reason we're even having this conversation is just women's bodies are political no matter what. Breastfeeding is probably the least political way that you could express nudity or, the least sexual way that you should be thinking about a breast or could be thinking about a breast and yet it's scandalous. And I think in this show used for entertainment value to scandalize, I have to say it is very fun to watch breast flexing, scandalize <laughs> wealthy white women uh, around a table. But I think we found the perfect person to talk about this with someone who has breasts, but is not a scandalized white woman. And, uh, <laughs> totally. and who is maybe one of the funniest people we know. Well, let's get into it. Here is our discussion with our special guest, Reshma Gopaldas. We hope you enjoy. Reshma, welcome to Cringe Watchers. We are so excited to have you. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be virtually hanging out with you. I haven't seen you guys in person for a long time. I can't remember the last time I saw you both at the same time. Was it at a dinner, maybe? Yes, it was in the city somewhere. It was, um, Layla, you and I, we text a lot about soup dumplings. So it's hard to, (laughs) it's hard to keep that from like split that from reality. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure there was a roast duck on the table the last time I saw both. I I think it was Peking Duck. Peking Uh, Duck House. Yes. Peking (laughs) Peking Duck House, Planned Parenthood alum reunion night. Uh, It's the only way to reunite with friends over duck. I'm sure there's a smoother transition than this, but speaking of roast duck, we're here to talk about breasts with you, Reshma. I don't want to flatter you, but you're something of an expert in this area on multiple levels. And Layla and I are absolutely thrilled to have you here with us to discuss your boob background and everything from breastfeeding to chest feeding to bearing breasts as a flex. 
And this, of course, is popularly depicted in the show Feels like everybody watched The Undoing with Nicole Kidman, and we want to get right into it. Reshma, what did you think about breasts in The Undoing? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about, you know, the fact that we've all had breasts since, what, like 10, 11? (laughs) Oh, no, I got mine at eight. It was really humiliating. I walked around with my arms crossed over my chest, and I was so embarrassed. And then one day, my mom was... uh, I, I missed the bus. My mom drove me to school and she said, Layla, my hair is growing gray up front. But what if I walked around with my hand covering it all day? Don't you think people would notice more? And I had my, I had my arms tightly crossed across my chest and I said, no. <laughs> oh, she's so sweet. And then she got you a bra. Uh, but pretty soon after that, when I was nine. Yeah. I think I got breasts uh, uh, 10 or 11. So we've owned breasts for a long time. I think you're the person I've discussed breasts most with. Yeah. Well, so the reason we discuss breasts so much is because in 2014, I got breast cancer and it like kind of rocked all of us, Um, you know, just friends, family, because I was young. There's no need to discuss exactly what age, but (laughs) I was young. Yeah. I think it really changed the way I viewed boobs in general, but it also, you know, it changed like the function of what my boobs could do. You know, I mean, boobs can be seen in many ways. They're functional, they're sexual, they're biological, they, you know, feed humans. When I went through treatment, I just remember the radiologist said to me, oh, just so you know, like once you get radiated over here, it was my left boob, you won't be able to breastfeed from that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It just kind of knocks it out of business. And they were like more I don't know if he said more milk will come out of the right side, but either way, like my whole breast cancer journey kind of changed whether I could have kids or not. So, you know, my boobs are like, they're the source of a lot of frustration and pain for me, but they're also amazing because they are, but they, in the last few years, the breastfeeding part is not going to be part of their journey. So that was like a hard thing for me to accept for a while. I think when you said it rocked a lot of us friends and family, I think it's because you were so young and you're probably the first person I knew who was going through such intensive uh, cancer treatment. And I think because you have a family history that you even thought to check, right? Well, yeah, actually. So my mother had it five years before me. My cousin, my mother's sister's daughter had it two years before me. And then my aunt my mother's sister had it when I was in college and we all got different types. My mom and I got more similar types, which is hormone based. And the two of us did not need chemotherapy. We had lumpectomies, radiation. And then I was put on tamoxifen. They say 10 years, but I just found out that I'm probably going to be able to stop it in September. So I'm super excited about that. But my cousin and my aunt, like chemotherapy changes your physical looks and you know, no, none of us have had, knock on wood, a a mastectomy yet. Um, I hope we don't have to, but once you have surgery on your boob, everything changes about it. You know, when you're dating people, you have to, you have to tell, not my mom, my mom's not dating anyone. (laughs) If she is, don't tell my dad. Um, But it definitely, you know, it is a conversation that you have to have which I didn't need to before. So like, if I'm dating someone new, I'm like, when do I tell them I had cancer? Cause you get cancer face. I don't know if you guys know cancer face, but it's like, Oh my God. <laughs> so it's a, it's kind of hard to navigate around, but yeah, that's kind of been like my experience with boobs and, and Layla. Yeah. I think it was like 
pretty shocking for all of us to go through. Should we tell everyone where we know each other from? We all know each other from Planned Parenthood, where you were constantly dragging us in to be part of video content yes. and, and teaching us the ways of celebrity wrangling. I, yeah, that's kind of what I did for a long time. <laughs> but because of that, you had your own office. And I feel like at the time that you got your diagnosis, we I would, would often sort of duck in there, close the door and get a really really honest and transparent firsthand account from you of what you were going through. I really, I learned so much from you at that time. You were so honest and vulnerable about even, you know, physically looking at your own breasts and how they were changing or worrying about your breasts and, and learning. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I wasn't as worried. It was just like during radiation, one of my left boob turned black, like it right. got burned you know, it just was like kind of crazy to see that. And I'm like, is this ever going to be like a normal color? Or do I just have like one brown boob and one very, very brown boob? You know, it, it was just, it was a lot of change that we went through. I, and I felt like we went through it together, even though like my boobs really took the lead. We would, you guys would come into my office and everyone would just like close the door and we would either laugh or we would probably cry a few times, which I never used to cry before this, especially at the office. But yeah, I don't know. I think the one thing we all had, like everyone was like a supportive bra, like a little human bra. So it wasn't, it was, it could have been worse. Going through that, Rachel, I'm curious, did depictions of boobs in pop culture and media hit you differently after you were going through an experience like that? Were there things that just kind of like set you off when you saw them? I would say what really would set me off a little bit was like when I'd see people like the breastfeeding stuff and I'm like, oh, I like won't be able to do that. You know, it was more from that perspective, but um, no, not really. Like sometimes when people would say to me, you know, the plans they had, like, oh, I'm gonna have kids when I'm 27, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And I just like in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, all the best laid plans. <laughs> yeah. You just don't know, things can change very quickly. But in pop culture, like, I mean, breasts for the most part have been mainly sexual or weaponized or, um, you know, they're, and in society, we're, we're taught from such a young age, like, oh, you should, you know, hide your chest and like, don't let everything hang out. And, but then at the same time, we have things like beauty pageants and different things like that, where we're like, is she just wearing like a bikini and like stiletto heels? So it's like, it's confusing to everyone, I think. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have breast cancer, but I was upset not at the breastfeeding scene in the undoing, but the the locker room scene where that woman has perfect breasts. <laughs> perfect ass. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, so let's talk about the the breastfeeding scene. Yeah. Well, you when you just said weaponized, I think you meant that our breasts can be weaponized against us, maybe. But yeah, uh, or or weaponized against other people. You know, mm -hmm. they, they do carry a lot of power too. Getting back to the undoing, because Lori, to go back to your original question, like the way we saw breasts depicted in the undoing is like in two main ways, obviously sexually, but then the character, I, I think Elena is breastfeeding her child. And as like a bunch of rich white women are looking at her and I think one of you guys said like, is that a breastfeeding flex? And I don't know, maybe, maybe it was, I think she was trying to make them feel uncomfortable in general. Like that's what her function was there. And they took the bait like so easily. I rewatched the scene with Elena and Nicole Kidman in the dressing room. And I was like, 
who does that? Who just walks over to someone like totally naked and is like, so anyways, a friend of ours, Lisa Malley and I, we used to go to um, New York sports club together and we'd be, we do kickboxing. And I would remember like older women just don't give a shit about anything. And, you know, it's the same way, like I can go into a room of like 15 doctors and be topless and I don't care. Cause you just kind of check your pride once you get diagnosed. But Lisa and I, I remember I would always go like around the corner hiding somewhere to quickly get changed or going into a bathroom stall. But all the older women were like, I mean, there were boobs everywhere. There's badge sometimes. And I was like, how do you do that? I've had forgotten until today rewatching the episode that later Nicole Kidman has another memory and shows more of that locker room scene. It reminded me so much of my first time going to overnight camp. And because I was a day camper at some sort of Manhattan YMCA and we were, we got to go for a weekend to a sleepaway camp where people were sleeping for the, were staying for the whole summer. There were a lot of older girls there. I was eight and it's the first time I went to a locker room where the other girls had pubic hair. What I love about what you said, Reshma, is that you sort of talk about the breasts being depicted in two ways, like this sense of motherhood, you know, nurturing, you mentioned kind of feeling that twinge when you would see women breastfeeding and also sexually. And what I love about The Undoing, which is not a complicated show, is that they do do a good job of showing how those two things can kind of be confusing when they come together. So what I love about the scene where Elena is breastfeeding as a flex is that you kind of can't tell, is this sexual? Is this about her being a good mother and the other mothers feeling jealous that she's actually mothering her children and they're doing so through nannies? Like there's so many sort of weird. That's interesting. You say that. I don't think they thought that at all. I think they were just like, this uh, woman is out here. I mean, maybe she was just like, oh, I have to feed my kid, but I think she was doing it to make them uncomfortable. I love the sort of ambiguity there. And, you know, there are these class dynamics that they're trying to show. And again, it's not subtle. (laughs) Like (laughs) there's like five different mentions of class and signifiers of class that are happening in the scene. Um, But I just love that we kind of can't tell if Nicole Kidman's character and Elena are flirting or they're jealous of each other or some weird combination of both. And the breast sort of gets mixed up in all of that. Yeah, I think Nicole was definitely flirting or she enjoyed the attention she got. And she was also, you know, kind of uh, unnerved by it. And I think Elena was was portrayed very much as like the aggressor and trying to figure out what's going on, which I don't know if I love that about the undoing. I think they could have gone a less cliched way. They just kind of villainized Elena. And I was like, really? That's what we're doing? So, yeah, she almost seems supernatural to me. She's just a ghost. But the the thing I noticed today, to both of your points uh, in rewatching it, was that I'm I'm not sure, Lori, what she was doing, what Elena's doing at first. But then once the looks start coming from the Upper East Side bitchy moms, she sort of wiggles in her seat and settles into it and and stares each one of them down. And then you get a reaction shot from each woman around the table. Chris was watching with me and he said, I didn't remember there was all of this. And I said, yeah, yeah me neither. It's so long, that scene of just each woman glaring at her and then later uh, bitching about her at the party. 
So I'll tell you, this happened to me actually in 2004 at the March for Women's Lives. And it was all these pro-choice organizations. And we were we were in our kind of celebrity VIP room. And I think uh, Candace Bergen uh, was sitting at Murphy Brown, uh, was sitting uh, at a table. And there was a, a bunch of other celebrities too, like Cheryl Crow, Julianne Moore, different ones. And this, this woman, I don't know where she came from. Um, she just kind of got in the room. She wasn't one of our guests and she was, uh, had her baby out, had her boob out like on the table and you could see a lot of the actors and a lot of people were uncomfortable. We're taught to be embarrassed by that. You know, I think things are changing for sure, but you know, I know people in my family, if they see a woman breastfeeding, that's not covering herself, I think they would make comments. Whereas I'd like to think that, you know, especially given our background where we've worked and everything that I'd be fine with it because I don't see a problem with it, but it does make people nervous and it makes them very unnerved. So I could totally see that undoing scene happen in like Greenwich, Connecticut and it being hilarious. Uh, But yeah, Murphy Brown did not love the boob out. I stumbled down a YouTube rabbit hole once where a guy positions someone breastfeeding not showing much actual breast at all and films the how people come up to her, try to cover her, yell at her. And then in the same place, positions a woman in a very low cut top, technically showing much more of her breasts and people just either don't bat an eye or, or men give her a lot of positive attention. Yeah. I mean, the double standard is just kind of crazy. I actually remember my grandmother who was actually a super feminist about most stuff she and I, when whenever we'd watch like awards shows and stuff, if any actress had like a low cut dress where you could see like a little bit more of her boobs than you should, she'd always be like, why is she wearing that? I was like, Nani, don't slut shame her. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this again. So I think she was like ruining the day that she, you know, educated me probably. <laughs> but um, we used to have arguments about that until like well into her nineties. She's like, I just don't see why we need to see it. I was like, that's because society has taught you to hate the look of women's breasts. I was like, they're amazing. I, why is she even wearing a top? I, I think she should go topless. And she's like, you're ridiculous. Get out of here. That's a great tagline for intergenerational feminism is ruining the day we educated them. I think <laughs> there's a lot there. Um, but one of the things I love about this scene that I'm doing was that I did feel like it pushed the boundaries beyond. It was like these women kind of had this upper East side vibe or upper West side vibe of we're powerful, strong, independent, successful women. And we, you know, support each other. And I think there's like a liberal feminist vibe in the air, but at the end of the day, they were deeply unsettled by something that they certainly all done with their own bodies. There was not a man there and there was no male gaze. Yeah, I know. It was. It's interesting how we are taught um, from a very young age to be embarrassed by what's very natural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing I hadn't remembered was when, when they get to the party and Elena is spotted in the crowd, she's got this very boobtacular dress on. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're, they're all commenting all over again. And Janelle Maloney says, there she is, the lactator in chief. <laughs> That is actually amazing. I know. I think I remember watching that scene and I was like, oh, my grandmother would not approve of that dress. (laughs) It is. I I remembered that she had great breasts, but I had forgotten how that dress, her breasts were basically invited to the party and she came too. (laughs) 
Womanly Magazine is a print publication and digital platform providing accessible health information to women and non-binary people through both visual and literary art, lifting up narratives that are often neglected by the typical health magazine. In addition to distributing print editions at no cost at clinics and community centers serving Black, Brown, and immigrant communities, Womanly hosts online events, educational classes, and much more. To learn more about Womanly, read past issues, donate, or become a member, visit womanlymag.com. Womanly Magazine is 501c3 fiscally sponsored by Brooklyn Arts Council. I was never breastfed. I host this like health series for my job called Wine and Gyne, where I like have wine with gynecologists. I think sometime last year or the year before, I interviewed someone who's uh, kind of a breastfeeding expert, specifically also for Black women. And I learned so many different things. Um, you know, my whole thing is, I think a lot of people feel like they have to breastfeed. And, you know, you always hear these things, well, the baby won't be developed properly, properly and this and that. And my mom always like growing up, she's like, no, I couldn't do it. You know, and, and so in our episode, we decided to call my mom and I didn't tell her I was doing this or anything. And so I just called her and I was like, hi mom. And she's like, yeah. She was like the grocery store or something. She's like, yeah, what? I was like, hey, I'm here with Kimberly. And we were just talking about breastfeeding. And I told her that you didn't breastfeed me. Why Why didn't you? But it came off a little more accusatory. And she's like, oh, I just couldn't. It hurt. She's like, this is what happened. I was breastfeeding. I had to, I was low in iron. They gave me some kind of medication. The medication was the, giving the baby diarrhea. And I was like, hello, don't announce that I have diarrhea on camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's like, so I just didn't breastfeed you, but I will have you guys know the only way I, I saw that adversely affecting me. I think I did suck my thumb for many years. And you think it's related? Yeah. Because you, I think you get like, you have like an oral fixation as a kid, right? Naturally when you're being breastfed and stuff. And I think if you miss out on that, I don't know, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing that I think is different for for maybe it's because I've reached the age where everyone I know where, where so many of our friends have kids now. I think one by one, you hear people confess. I had so much trouble breastfeeding. I couldn't breastfeed as long as I wanted to. The baby yep. never latched. It's so hard. I had coaches, but no one ever tells you it's going to be that difficult. Oh and yeah. I, everyone I, I know is agonized over it. Layla, I, I wish we could talk about this more because literally every friend, family member who's gotten pregnant. The one thing I've learned is breastfeeding is not easy. It's not something that magically just the baby latches. And I, I think there's lactation consultants and my, just hearing what all of my friends have been through, I would say like, definitely get a lactation consultant if you get nothing else, because I've also seen friends in the hospital who couldn't do it and who were like, feel like they failed. And it's just, it's incredibly difficult. Um, and then I have friends who had had their kids like a while ago and they're just like, oh, my boobs don't look the same anymore. They just like hang down, they're big, they're this. And they, I, I can tell for them, their boobs have changed, you know, like when we're younger, I feel like it's totally different. When we, when we first get them, we're, we're embarrassed by them. Then we're told to hide them. Then we're told, oh, you should be confident, sit up straight, this, that, and, but don't show your boobs. You know, there's just so many mixed messages about all of them. 
No, it's true. And, and I wonder, you're making me think of the undoing. Maybe they were glaring the wealthy moms because uh, it didn't seem like Elena needed a lactation coach and her boobs looked just fine. <laughs> and this was her second child. <laughs> I know whenever I'm talking shit about someone, it's usually because I feel threatened by them or I'm jealous of something. And I think that's the implication with these undoing moms as well, that there's something in Elena that makes them want to assert their dominance. And the way they do that is by talking shit about how she bears her breasts. Yeah. I think Elena's doing the same thing to them though. I think it goes both ways because she's like, why is he choosing to be with her and people like Mm. that over me? That's right. We didn't even talk about the fact that the baby who's suckling at her teat is the daughter of Nicole Kidman's husband. And Elena knows that at the time, but Nicole Kidman doesn't. We'll put a huge spoiler alert on this. Huge spoiler alert. And you should know that the ending's kind of disappointing. I mean, only if you give the show credit for having layers or don't don't figure out from day one that there aren't layers. I know. (laughs) Did you figure out from day one that there weren't layers? Oh, I don't know. I have... um... You know, my younger sister is the sort of person who reads the last page of the book first and, and oh. may have told me early on that it's a disappointment oh, that, that I so inferred as, as what happened. She didn't tell me exactly what happened, but she was so disappointed, I guess, what happened. I thought it was going to be the best friend who was like helping him all along because I was like, why, what is her function in the story? And it should have been because me she too. had no purpose. Same thought about the best friend. I think she was a red herring. I think they were attempting layers with her. Yeah. I I think my my favorite 45 minutes was when I thought the kid did it. (laughs) I knew the kid didn't do it, but I I was like, oh, they're trying to make us think he did. So I didn't fall for that. You're you're better than me. I was all about it. I thought maybe like if the kid did it, the Hugh Grant's character was being like a good guy and trying to cover for him. Um, But turned out, no, he just took him on a terror ride and (laughs) a crazy narcissistic dad. (laughs) OJ style. Did you did you ever think Donald Sutherland did it? No, I didn't. Does he always play creepy, scary dad in everything he's in? Well, except, you know, his breakout role is Ordinary People, where he plays just very sad dad. Oh, I should watch. I've never seen Ordinary People. It's good. And and also about upper crusty people who are maybe <laughs> too holding their feelings too close to their chest. <laughs> Okay, in our rapid fire style, we'll ask you the same questions that we ask all our guests. We ask you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am ready. What other shows are you watching right now? I just finished Your Honor. Um, I am starting WandaVision, or I started WandaVision, um, and I'm watching Snowpiercer right now. Do you have a favorite sex scene from film, TV, or literature? I um I cover a show for work called Outlander. Outlander is probably uh, the show that is like the gold standard for sex scenes. And the reason is, is because it has chemistry, consent, and equality. And the two leads, honestly, you will not see chemistry like that on any other show. Um, and I even wrote a whole article on why they're better at sex than all of us. So you can check that out. That's the clip we're leading with Reshma. As usual, you are an incredible media maker. You know your way around an interview, sister. What can we say? And an amazing friend. Thank you. And can I do the mic drop now? Tiny <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Thank you to our guest, Reshma Gopaldis, for sharing her story. You can follow Reshma on Twitter at Bull, 
R-E-S-H-I-N-G-B-U-L-L, or on Twitter at Reshmago, R-E-S-H-M-A-G-O. If you liked the show, please rate us and tell your friends. And you can always tweet at us at CringeWatchers or email us at CringeWatchersPod at gmail.com with story advertising or partnership ideas. We love those. Our editor is Karen Y. Chan. Judith Walker created our logos and cover art. Our ad music is by Siddhartha Corsis. Dallas D.L. Engram created our theme song. And that's it for now. Thank you for cringe-washing with us. 